Great, thank you. Hi, everybody. Welcome, welcome. My name is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I live in New York, and um, welcome to all the people that are here tonight in Recovery Jam. So we're going to jump into um, a pretty important chapter. Um, we're going to discuss we agnostics, and actually, we'll probably get through about half of it because it's a it's a pretty rich and meaty chapter here, and I don't I don't want to rush through anything. Um, you know, I just give like a little quick um, background just really fast on me. And, um, you know, what brings me here is um, I am a I am a food addict. I am an absolute food chunky. Um, I am addicted. I have been addicted to food. I've been addicted to certain types of eating. And I've been addicted to weight loss schemes and diets and fix-it strategies. Um, and at the height of my, you know, disease, I was over 300 pounds. I, um, I have broke my foot trying to exercise at um, food off my body. So I have, I have, you know, behaved inappropriately that way as well. Um, and I was owned. I feel like I was just owned by food. Food was everything. It was my master. It, it owned me. Um, it called the shots. It made me behave or it kept me behaving in ways that seemed to be against my own will, against what I wanted to do. I found myself not just eating in certain ways, but behaving in certain ways. And I couldn't think myself out of it. I couldn't take all the information I'd have, all the help that was being offered to me. I couldn't apply it consistently to keep the weight off. I could lose weight and do it for a period of time, but I always succumbed to the desire over and over and over and over again. And yet here I am today, right? I've been recovered, it's um, eight and a half years. I've lost over 160 pounds. Food is not my master anymore. I hardly think about it. I just eat my three weight and measured meals a day and it's really quiet. Um, and that's just, that is a miracle. That is an absolute miracle. And so that's the good news that I, you know, that I always want to shout. Like, that's what I hope the message is here, that there is a God who cares enough about each and every one of us to actually free us from, from bondage, right? So let's jump into we agnostics, because this is the chapter that's really going to explain, um, you know, perhaps what our stumbling blocks might be and and further give us information about the solution. So first of all, let's let's define what an agnostic is because it has a definition, right? And so here's the definition. A person who holds the view that any ultimate reality such as God is unknown and probably unknowable right? Um, and so, and broadly, another way is one who is not committed to believing in either the existence or the non-existence of God. So it's someone who can't commit, who can't say 100% there is a God, right? Um, an agnostic is also a person who's unwilling to commit to an opinion altogether about something. 
And what I think is, is pretty in, incredible about that definition is that what it says is that if you're an agnostic, you not only believe that you don't know that there's a God, but that you believe that nobody can completely know that there's a God. And so this chapter is written for people who think that they cannot know for sure the ultimate reality of God. And it's written for people who also believe that nobody can ultimately know that there's a God. And so, and that believing that God is unknowable. Like that's what it means to be an agnostic. And this chapter is written for people who believe that we can't know God, right? That you can't know for sure. Um, and it's also written for people who can't seem to commit to an opinion. Not unable to have an opinion, by the way, that's not what it says, but unable to commit to an opinion. And boy, do I get that because I have had opinions, I think since the time I came out of the womb, right? I've always had opinions. I couldn't even commit to them though. I couldn't have integrity to stand by my very own opinions to stay committed to the things that I believed. So I think that about this, right? And I, and I know that this agnostic temperament is not something to celebrate and cling to. And I don't think that we can remain agnostic and recover. And I know that might fly in the face of some things that you might hear that in 12-step in rooms, you don't have to believe, right? Well, that's true initially, but we don't wanna cling to disbelief. We don't wanna cling to an agnostic temperament. In fact, this chapter is written before the directions because the hope is that you're gonna lose that agnostic temperament so that you can follow through with the directions. And I think that's why it's specifically placed where it is in the text. It's placed after there's a solution, which tells us that it's going to be spiritual. And it's placed after more about alcoholism, which tells us that every other human solution is going to be a failure. And so then it's specifically placed, okay, so if you know that you're going to need to believe because nothing else is working for you, but you're not sure that you can, well, here you go, here's your chapter, let's get to it so that you can further take direction, right? And so the reason I'd say that we can't remain agnostic and recover is that just look at what it says and there's a solution which came before this. On page 25, there's a solution says, the great fact is just this and nothing less that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences, which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, towards our fellows and towards God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. 
So if that's what the solution is, to be absolutely certain that there's a God that enters your heart and changes you, you can't really remain with the position that nobody can know for sure. Because we just said, it's the absolute certainty, right? So if it's the central fact that we're certain of this, that doesn't really sound agnostic after all. And so then let's look at the way the preceding chapter ends and then how this chapter opens up. And more about alcoholism, the chapter that comes right before, page 43, the bottom two sentences say, except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. So basically, I have no other choice but to believe in a higher power, or I can suffer with the disease. That's really what it's telling me. And we agnostic page 44, the first paragraph, it says, in the preceding chapters, you have learned something of alcoholism. We hope we have made clear that distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. If, when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. This is how we can diagnose ourselves. You can't quit and you can't moderate. That's the diagnosis. So it doesn't matter how much you weigh or how little you weigh. That's the diagnosis. You can't quit and you can't moderate. And if that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. That's it. So if you can't quit and you can't moderate, then being agnostic is going to be something you must be willing to let go of. In our fellowship, it's not a badge of honor. We can't expect to have a miraculous intervention, which is the only thing that can relieve us is a miraculous intervention, an act of providence. That's what step one tells us. Then not, and you can't, so you can't have the miracle and not believe in the possibility and even the probability of a miraculous power that will give you the miracle. Right? It doesn't make sense to say, I can't believe in a power that can grant miracles. Oh, but by the way, can I have a miracle, please? Like, where is it coming from? Right? Where is it coming from? It's got to come from something bigger. And so I think it's very interesting how, it, how the words are chosen here. In it, we agnostic, it says, to one who feels he is an atheist or an agnostic, such an experience seems impossible but to continue as he is means disaster, especially if he's an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. So notice it says that if you feel like you're an atheist or agnostic, it's as though they already know that you're not really an atheist or an agnostic, merely it's just that you feel this way. Just like, I'll tell you, just like I felt hungry, right? Just like I felt unimportant, 
or I felt hurt or I felt cheated. None of it was actual hunger. None of it was actual rejection. None of it was actual cheated. We're people who can't rely on our feelings for direction, right? Doesn't mean that I can't feel my feelings. Oh, I can feel them all I want. But my feelings are inaccurate data. You know? So I felt like I was an atheist. I felt like I was agnostic, but I wasn't really. And we're gonna come back to this, this idea that we just feel it, but we're not really. And it goes on to say then to be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to faith. And so here again, I'm faced with two choices, die of an alcoholic death or live on a spiritual basis, right? Basically, it's this, build a relationship with God or die. That's what it was for me, right? And I might not have been dead, like, you know, <laughs> physically dead, but I felt dead, right? So I had two choices, either find God or, or experience life like I was dead. On page 45, it says lack of power. That was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live and it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously, right? So my dilemma isn't lack of knowledge or lack of motivation or lack of desire or even lack of willingness. My problem is that I can't rely on what I know or on what I want or on outside rewards and consequences. And this explains why diets that set out to teach me how to eat better couldn't work for me. It also explains why I could put the sugar down, but I couldn't keep it down. I could want this more than anything and still not have the power to do what I wanted, right? And I think that's the way most of us wind up here is that we want this more than anything, and yet we can't do it, right? But where and how are we to find this power, right? Where and how are we to find this? All right, well, it says, page 45. Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. So the entire book, right, is going to help you get power, get a relationship with power. And if you look at the word enable, right, enable, what does it mean? To provide with the means or opportunity. Sometimes it's a training that enables people to earn a living, right? It's something that you do that helps you better able to do something else, to make it possible practical or easy. So this book is specifically written so that we can have an opportunity to find God. And its intention is to make this possible, practical, and easy, right? That we get a book that gives us directions for finding God, for cultivating a relationship with God. And we're lucky because it's 12 steps right? 12 steps to finding God, to making a relationship with God. It's a recipe 
for a miracle that only involves 12 steps. Page 45, it says we've written a book which we believe to be spiritual as well as moral. And it means of course that we're going to talk about God. So I think this is important information for us. What do we talk about? We talk about God. That's what it says here. We talk about God and our meetings should talk about God, right? God as we understand them, God as we understand him, right? God of our own understanding. And our meetings should also help us cultivate a relationship with God. They should be making God the hero of the story and telling us how we're gonna get this relationship with God. And if we're going to look for humans to help us, we wanna make sure that they're helping us find God. That's what it's about, enabling us to find a relationship with God. Page 45, it says, here difficulty arises with agnostics. We feel hope when we find people who understand our problems. We feel hope when we have fellowship, right? And that's the purpose of fellowship. Fellowship is designed to give us hope. But when God is mentioned, we don't feel quite so hopeful. That's what it says. Like people are like, yikes, right? We have honest doubt and prejudices, meaning we're not being difficult or stubborn and we're not hiding this fact. We're being honest about our difficulties and our prejudices and doubts and prejudices, right? Well, here's doubt or prejudice. One, the word God brought up a particular idea of him with which someone had tried to impress during our childhood. So someone tried to force us to believe rather than perhaps demonstrated the benefits of believing. And that might've been your experience that maybe it was like crammed down your throat, right? But you didn't get to actually witness the beauty of living with belief. And two, this particular conception seemed inadequate. So inadequate, not capable. So the God that you were presented with isn't able to help you with your food problem. The God that you were shown wasn't one that helped you put the food down or keep it down. And three, thought that faith and dependence upon a power beyond ourselves was somewhat weak and even cowardly. Meaning that we felt smugly superior to religious and God dependent people. And feeling superior, what that really is, is it's lacking humility, right? thinking you're better than others. Or four, we looked upon this world of warring individuals, warring theological systems. So even religions can't get along, right? People would say, well, even religions can't get along. And um, the people that follow the theological systems and the actual systems themselves, so that we have, we have prejudices against those things. Five, another prejudice is inexplicable calamity. We look at those things with deep skepticism. So calamities that we can't explain, all the tragedies of the world, losses, murder, natural disasters. A prejudice you might have is, how could there be a God that I can rely on 
when there's so much loss and sadness in the world, or more specifically in my own life, right? Most of us are really more like, how can I believe in God when look what happened to me in my life? Or six, we looked askance at many individuals who claim to be godly. You know, askance as we looked at them with disapproval or distrust. So a prejudice I might have is, I can't trust the people who claim to be so godly and religious, right? And that might be a prejudice that I have. Seven, how could a supreme being have anything to do with it all? And who could comprehend a supreme being anyhow? So a prejudice you might have is you can't rely on something that you can't understand. You don't understand how there could be a God that did all this. So therefore, I won't believe in it because I don't understand it. Therefore, I won't believe in it. And yet none of these factors in when we experience the awe and wonder of the natural world, like all those other prejudices, right? For example, if you see a starlit night, for many of us, nature is one entry point. It's one way that we can kind of say, you know what, you're right. None of the other things make sense, but wow, look at that sunrise, right? Or wow, look at the stars, or my goodness, the ocean, right? It's a beautiful entry point for many of us. And so here it goes on to say, here's some good news. We of agnostic temperament have had these thoughts and experiences. Let us make haste to reassure you that we found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudices and express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results, even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power, which is God. So to me, this is incredibly comforting if you're a doubter, if you're an agnostic. It says we have had not that we still have. We have had these thoughts, these ideas. And so how did they get over it? What did all the people who came to have a profound spiritual experience do in order to get over this agnosticism? How did they do it? They laid aside their prejudices, right? They just pushed them to the side. They picked them up, they kind of put them over here to the side. They did not say, I will not believe. I refuse to believe, right? In fact, they said, maybe, maybe. They made themselves open-minded. And maybe is enough to take action. Maybe is exactly a great starting point for us. I can get results from something I don't understand, right? Just look at the results I get from my cell phone, right? Look at the results I get from my car, from this laptop, from electricity. I don't require understanding in order to rely on any of these power sources. And that willingness to believe is all that's required to make a start. So, you know, a, a, a 
two-year-old can turn on the light switch because the two-year-old quickly understands you turn on the light switch, the lights come on in the room, right? Anybody can understand that, but not understand how, right? So I don't need to understand how to understand that something can be powerful. And it's enough to make a start, right? It's enough to just turn on the switch. And the other comforting statements here is, we did not need to consider another conception, another's conception of God. And our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and to affect a contact with him. So if your sponsor or a fellow speaks about a conception of God that does not align with your belief system, you don't have to consider it. You don't have to take anyone else's conception of God. I cannot give someone my conception and tell them that they must believe what I believe, right? I've had many sponsees. None of them are required to believe the way that I believe. They can have their own belief. And the other helpful thing here is that, you know, even my uncertainty and forming conception is enough to start, right? So I can have uncertainty and I can have this forming conception, this beginning idea, and that's enough for anybody to start. And can you just think for a minute, like how incredible that is. Think about how incredible it is that you can have access to something right as soon as you want it, as soon as you're willing to lay aside your closed-mindedness and seek it. And I think like we have a God who is so eager to help us that he will make contact. That's what we're told. He will make contact. As soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, of a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things, we begin to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction, provided we took other simple steps. We found that God does not make too hard terms with those who seek him. To us, the realm of the spirit is broad roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. It is openly believed to all men. So God is right there making contact with us humans. We're flawed. <laughs> we're selfish. We're fearful, right? We're addicts. You know, this part is before we've even done an inventory, before we've made one amend, we come here full of human failures, full of like all my messy humanness, right? And the only thing that's required is a desire to have a relationship. God wants to have a relationship with us. I've seen it in my own life and I've seen it in the lives of others. I've, I've been witness to it. Once we start seeking, and start taking simple steps, we began to get assistance. We get help. And what does this look like? 
simple steps suggested by people who have cultivated their own relationship and who are offering their guidance, right? That's what it is. So when you have a sponsor or a fellow who has had a spiritual experience, who has a relationship with God, who tells you with absolute certainty that God has entered into their hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous, and they offer you guidance, right? Those simple steps you take are following the guidance, right? And so there is an important qualification for seeking. What does it mean to seek? It's on page 47. Here it is. Do not let any prejudice you may have against spiritual terms deter you from honestly asking yourself what they mean to you. At the start, this was all we needed to commence spiritual growth, to affect our first conscious relation with God as we understood him. So to have your first conscious contact, think about conscious means aware, awake, alert. To have your first aware contact, it's important that you put your prejudices aside and ask what each of the spiritual terms mean to you. Okay, so what are the spiritual terms? When they say that, what do they mean by spiritual terms? Does it mean like all religious terms? All Well, I would say, because we're studying this book as our way of enabling us to find a power, I'm gonna say that any word that this book uses to describe God or uses in place of the word God is a spiritual term. And we're gonna ask ourselves, what does each of those mean to you? We're gonna explore, what do those spiritual terms mean to you? And in this chapter, there are many spiritual terms. I'll just throw a few of them out. Higher power, supreme being, creative intelligence, spirit of the universe, realm of the spirit. Those are just some to name a few, right? And so it is a worthwhile endeavor to find all the spiritual terms, to go through this chapter, go through the book, try to find the spiritual terms and really ask yourself, what does that term mean to me? What does that help me think about? How does that help me envision God? And, you know, I think that's a really great way to start. You know, that, that is a place that we can begin. And I want to talk about the word conception because I think that there's a, um, I believe that um, sometimes there's a misinterpretation about the word conception. A conception, the word conception is used, that why don't you form your own conception? And it doesn't say concept. And there's a difference between why don't you form your own concept and why don't you form your own conception? And conception means a beginning. And concept means an idea, right? So. I can make a beginning, I can form my own beginning 
exactly where I am. And I think it's different than forming your own concept because forming your own concept means that you can make up God. You can just make it up, right? So you can just make up whatever, whatever it is. And I, you know, um, I want to be careful because I don't want to like, I never want to alienate anybody. I want to really, my, my aim is to really invite as many people and as many perspectives in, because I think that's the best way that we can all get enabled to find and create conscious contact. But, you know, I had this, I have to tell you, when I first um, was going through the steps and I was struggling at one point, I really understood step one. And step one rammed into my, rammed into me that there is something very wrong with my thinking, that my brain is not working correctly. And I, and I got it because I was beginning to really see that that was true. And I got the idea that my brain is broken, that I've got this broken mind. As much as I like to think I'm smart, my brain was definitely not doing me any favors. And then I heard this idea, well, why don't you form your own conception? And I'm a smart ass. <laughs> and so I thought, well, wait a second. Now you're telling me with my broken head, with my broken brain, I should just make up a God. And that makes no sense. And I was like, that makes no sense to me. And you know, what happened for me at that moment when I was actually having that thought and, and kind of like, chewing on it a lot and discussing it a lot. I was going to think about this a lot. I heard this voice come in my head and I've shared this before and the voice sounded like my dad's. And what I heard was, don't be so smart. You want to get better or not? Like don't smart your way basically. And that was exactly how my dad would have spoken to me. My dad is gone. He's deceased. I know it wasn't really my father, but I believe that God is so creative. He knows just how to reach me. And he knew the voice that would get my attention. And now, you know, on further reflection, I was actually, I think I was a little bit right. You can't, I did not think I was capable of making God up, but I could start, I could make a conception right where I was. I can start right where I was, whatever it was, any spiritual term. You know, um, no, I don't think I can just make up God. I think um, if I could make it up, then I, then I might think I'm it right? Then I might start thinking on it. But I'm certainly open to hearing lots of other people's conceptions and lots of the other people's understanding and invite myself to reflect on the spiritual terms, right? And so we're brought to this point. Do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? And as soon as a man can say that he does believe or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him that he is on his way. And it has been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. So I get this opportunity to be on my way right? To be set on this path where I'm going to start finding out and cultivating this relationship with God by just beginning, by saying, you know what? I'm willing to believe 
And, you know, what makes us willing really to believe um, is I would say it's the, the ingredients for all willingness. You know, willingness is for me, it's like a hundred parts desperation, hundred parts failure, and just a little sprinkling of hope. That was really it. And so what helped make me willing to believe that there was a higher power was I had lived my life um, being under the direction of my lowest weakness, right? The opposite of my high power. My lowest weakness, when I when that was in the driver's seat, um, that was jealousy, anger, greed, resentment, and like an unyielding appetite, this never ending hunger for more. When that was my God, when I was living with that lowest weakness, I was over 300 pounds, right? And I couldn't stop eating and my blood pressure was dangerously high. And I thought I was going to die and I didn't know that I even cared. That's what it was like. And then, so I had the desperation because I just, living that way was hell, it was torture, it was torture. And then the next part is that little sprinkling of hope. I began to hear people say that they had recovered. And I began to see people who had clearly recovered. And they were speaking in a way and looking in a way that was that just blew my mind. It, it just blew my mind. And every one of those people, when I called them, when I listened to them, when I began to like dig and like really want to inquire, every single one of them said that their solution has been a relationship with God. None of them said that it was their own human power. None of them said it was this food plan. None of them said it was this meeting or that meeting or, or any meeting. None of them said it was their sponsor, right? Every single one of them had said that it was a relationship with God that enabled them to live that way. And so that's why I say that the most important message that we can give people, the most hopeful message that we can give people is to speak of God, that there is a God, that there is a God who cares and that performs miracles because people will let us down, right? Sponsors will let us down. Meetings will let us down, right? Food plans might need to change based on your age and your health conditions, right? All those things, while those are all wonderful resources, none of them are God, right? The only solution, step one tells me, nothing but an act of providence, nothing but a miraculous intervention, right? Can help me. And so the most powerful message that we can give other people is that there is a God and that we have a plan which will enable you to make contact. So I'm gonna stop at We Agnostics here and then we'll pick up on it the next time.
page 40.